Good morning, good evening, and good night. Wherever you are, this is your host, Mohamed Halaiba. Summary, my attempt for this podcast is to make studying for the core exam is more palatable, given that we're all studying for it during our fourth year. This is not an exciting time to be studying for the board, especially that we have almost nearly completed studying for it last year. The way this episode will work or these podcasts will work is I will post an episode every day that would be no longer than 20 minutes. The episodes will contain random high-yield facts. These facts are random in purpose because I would like them to simulate the actual test where we get asked different things, uh, every single question on different topics. Correction of errata, if there are any, I will do that in the show notes. If there is a huge mistake or something uh, wrong, I will correct it in the upcoming episode. I might later on do specific episodes for uh, important topics such as... uh, physics, but this would be later on and if there is a demand for it. Finally, you can reach out to me through Twitter or email at Mohamed Halaiba uh, for Twitter, M-O-H-A-M-M-A-D, last name Halaiba, H-A-L-A-I-B-E-H, and email is mhalaiba, M-H-A-L-A-I-B as in boy, E-H, at gmail.com. Thank you. We'll get started. Tendinosis is chronic degeneration of the tendon. This is not an inflammatory process, otherwise it would be termed tendonitis. So that's really the difference that it's not caused by an inflammatory process. So it's inflammation or degeneration within the tendon, but not caused by an inflammatory process, rather a chronic issue. Uh, Tendinosis can also be, or a more appropriate term is tendinopathy. Again, chronic degeneration of the tendon is tendinosis. If it's due to an inflammatory process or infection, it's tendonitis. In a previous podcast, we talked about blooming artifact, particularly in the brain. We said GRE and SWI sequences enhance this artifact, right? Now, what is the differential diagnosis for multiple dark spots on brain MRI in GRE or SWI sequence? Number one, you think it really depends on the distribution, but hypertensive microbleeds that is particularly seen in the basal ganglia, cerebellum, pons, and thalami. If you see the Blumen artifact or dark spots in those locations, then you would think of hypertensive microbleed. Another one is cerebral amyloid angiopathy. Now, this is similar, kind of the presentation of the microbleeds, but it's the location that is different. These are seen in the subcortical white matter, matter, typically the parietal and occipital lobes. Again, cerebral amyloid angiopathy, dark spots in the subcortical white matter. Familiar cerebral cavernous malformation, those are random, and you can see multiple cavernous malformation. Obviously, the age of the patient can be somewhat of a clue when you see those. Hypertensive microbleed, you don't expect it in a younger patient. Exonal shear injury if it's post-trauma, And finally, multiple hemorrhagic metastasis. Those are slightly bigger than the hypertensive microbleeds or the cerebral amyloid angiopathy. Uh, But again, multiple hemorrhagic metastasis. To summarize from the top, if you see lumen artifact on GRE or SWI, multiple spots on the brain, what we think of, hypertensive microbleed if it's in the basal ganglia or the midbrain, cerebral amyloid angiopathy if it involves the subcortical white matter, multiple hemorrhagic metastasis based on the clinical history and shape and size, axonal shear injury, and familial cerebral cavernous malformation.
bone lesion that can involve a single bone or multiple bones of a single extremity with thickened and irregular cortex, sometimes described as draping wax appearance, can have a skin lesion overlying the affected area and presents with pain and decreased range of motion in the affected limb. Diagnosis is malariostosis or Larry's disease. Bone scan would show intense uptake and it is distribution in a single sclerotone. Again, thickened irregular cortex typically involve one bone or multiple bones of the single extremity and typically involves the extremity, lower extremity in particular, sparing the skull, presents with pain and decreased range of motion with possible skin lesion over the affected area or the sclerotone of the affected area. Diagnosis is malariostosis or Larry's disease, and bone scan would show intense uptake. X-ray imaging is characteristic, and it's important to know how it looks like on X-ray. A syndrome that presents with fibromuscular dysplasia and intramuscular myxoma tend to occur in the same region of the body. Masbrod syndrome, again, fibrous dysplasia with intramuscular myxoma occurring in the same region of the body, that's Masbrod syndrome. Typical features of neurofibromatosis type 1 or von Reckenhausing disease. So this is a tumor suppressor gene and it causes a lot of tumors everywhere in the body. But typical features include prominent skin manifestations, cafe au lait spots, prominent peripheral nerve sheath tumors, and they're very, very distinguishable plexiform neurofibromas, CNS malignancies, optic nerve glioma, and bony abnormalities, sphenoid wing dysplasias. Again, common tumors associated with neurofibromatosis type 1 or Reckling housing disease, multisystem neurocutaneous disorders, prominent skin manifestations, cafe low spots, peripheral nerve sheath tumors, plexiform neurofibromas, CNS malignancies, particularly optic nerve gliomas, especially if bilateral, and bony abnormalities such as sphenoid wing dysplasia. Common imaging features of hepatic hemangioma. So a hepatic hemangioma is a mass composed of disorganized endothelial lined pockets of blood vessel. This mass is supplied by a branch of the hepatic artery, which gives the finding on enhanced contrast-enhanced imaging, be it MRI or CT scan. On MRI, what we see is a mass with peripheral nodular enhancement or discontinuous enhancement on the arterial phase. The intensity of the peripheral nodular enhancement would be similar intensity of the aorta. And then progressively, as we wait longer or delayed phase or portal venous phase, we'll start seeing central filling of the mass. This is characteristic of hepatic hemangioma. Now, on delayed imaging, what we'll see is homogeneous enhancement with some central areas of non-enhancement. If we have that, that would be consistent with cystic degeneration within the hemangioma. We don't have to see it, but it's consistent with cystic degeneration. Hemangiomas are more common in females, and they regress in cirrhotic liver. So if we follow hemangioma in a patient who develops cirrhosis, that hemangioma will involute. Again, classic imaging features of hemangioma on contrasted study, peripheral nodular enhancement on the arterial phase. That peripheral enhancement is similar intensity or uh, radio opacity to the aorta. And if we wait longer, we'll start seeing filling of the mass centrally, especially of big 
imaging features of spinal traumatic epidural hematoma. Epidural hematoma in the spine, we don't typically see them, not at least as frequent as the uh, brain epidural hematomas. If we see them, they typically extend along the dorsal or posterior aspect of the epidural space in the spinal canal because the ventral or anterior aspect of the spinal canal, there is limited space because of the dural attachment to the posterior longitudinal ligament. So we can still see it anterior to the spinal cord, but there is more space posteriorly, so we'll see more blood accumulating posteriorly. What we worry about is we worry about compression or mass effect on the spinal cord. Again, traumatic spinal epidural hematomas, they are less common than the brain epidural hematomas, and they extend more in the dorsal aspect of or the posterior or dorsal epidural space because the anterior epidural space or ventral epidural space uh, is limited due to posterior longitudinal attachment. What is the magic angle phenomena or artifact. This is an increased signal or hyperintense signal in images with short TE sequences, particularly if the sequence has a TE time of less than 32 millisecond. And it is seen in collagen-rich structures such as tendon, ligaments, and fibrocartilage when these structures are oriented approximately 55 degrees from the main magnetic field. It causes hyperintense signal, and this hyperintense signal can be potentially misinterpreted as tendinopathy. Again, magic angle phenomena is increased signal in sequences with short TE time, less than 32 millisecond, in collagen-rich structures such as ligaments, fibrocartilage, and tendon, when they are oriented approximately 55 degree from the main magnetic field, they appear hyperintense and can potentially be interpreted as tendinopathy. Okay, what are the sequences with short TE imaging time or short TE sequence? Sequences with short TE time include T1, GRE gradient echo, and proton density images. So T1, GRE, and proton density images uh, can exhibit magic angle phenomena. Common etiologies for slack wrist. So slack wrist is scaphalonate advanced collapse and this is sequela of chronic scaphalunate ligament injury. Now, etiologies for scaphalunate ligament injury include osteoarthritis, just degenerative changes, CPPD, arthropathy, and chronic untreated scaphalunate dissociation. Again, slack wrist or scaphalunate advanced collapse is sequela of chronic scaphalunate ligament injury, which can be secondary to osteoarthritis, CPPD, arthropathy, and chronic untreated scaphalunate dissociation. This is really a difficult question. I don't think they'll ever ask something like this, but it highlights a central location that is difficult to visualize. So what tumor lies central or happens to occur central to the sphenopalatine foramen? This is the juvenile nasopalatine angiofibroma that presents with recurrent bleeding, nasal bleed in a young adult, typically a male, 14, 15 years of age. Again, tumor central to the sphenopalatine foramen is juvenile nasopalatine angiofibroma. To really describe this location, it's you know, it's central or medial to the medial pterygoid plate. So the area between the medial pterygoid plates on both sides is the sphenopalatine area and tumor that occurs central to the sphenopalatine foramen is the juvenile nasopalatine angiofibroma. 
key feature of Pott's disease. Pott's disease is tuberculosis of the spine. The key thing in Pott's disease is you will have osseous destruction involving two adjacent vertebral body with no involvement of the disc space or relatively preserved disc space. So TB is associated with preserved disc space and infection or destructive process involving uh, two adjacent vertebral body. They'll typically show two vertebral body involved because they want to show that the disc space is preserved between them. Again, POTS disease or tuberculosis of the spine is associated with osseous destruction with preserved disc space. P in POTS is for preserved disc space. Appropriate positioning of IUD. So the IUD is typically shaped in... uh, similar to a T letter, and you want the IUD as close to the fundus in the endometrial canal as possible. You almost want the arms of the IUD or the T arms of the IUD in the fundus extending, looks like extending into the fallopian tubes. Anything less than that, I think it's five millimeter from the fundus is, more than five millimeter from the fundus is considered inappropriate. But the key thing is you want it to be up in the endometrial canal as possible. Congenital heart disease associated with right-sided aortic arch, tetralogy follow, truncus arteriosus, and transposition of the great vessels. Now, most common disease between all these three is tetralogy of follow. But up to 25% of tetralogy follow patients will have right-sided aortic arch. Transposition of the uh, truncus arteriosus will see up to 50% of trans- truncus arteriosus patients with right-sided aortic arch. And for the transposition of the great vessel, we'll see up to 10% of those patients having right-sided arch. This can be a tricky association, and it might be asked in a uh, complex manner or convoluted manner. But what's good to remember is up to 50% of patients with truncus arteriosus will have right-sided arch, and up to 25% of tetralogy of fallow patients will have right-sided arch. And finally, transposition of the great vessels, up to 10% of those patients will have right-sided arch.